Hello and welcome once again to another episode of 177 Nations of Tasmania podcast. Papua New Guinea is actually Australia's closest neighbour, at least in terms of distance, yet it would be fair to say that it is often far from the minds of most Australians. The scant bits of news we get from PNG are invariably quite negative, and apart from tales of the Kokoda Trail, PNG is barely mentioned in our school curriculum or popular culture. And so it may come as a surprise to many in Tasmania that there are around 400 PNG-born residents of Tasmania making them the largest of all the Pacifica communities living in the state. In this episode, I have the pleasure of talking with Anne, who was born and bred in PNG, but now lives in northwest Tasmania. Her father, a native Papua New Guinean, was formerly an Anglican bishop in PNG, while her mother is Australian. Anne came to Australia initially to study at the University of Ballarat, but later relocated to Tasmania's northwest, where her mother had settled after retirement. And she now works at the public library in Devonport. In this episode, we talk about some of the different places where Anne lived growing up and get an insight into Papua New Guinea culture, the importance of family and history, particularly her own family's connection with the events of World War II. So I was born in Garoka, which is in the highlands of Papua New Guinea. I lived there um, until I was about two and then my dad enrolled in a theological college, Newton Theology. Uh, it was in Auckland. So we moved to Auckland in New Zealand in at the end of 1992. We lived there for three years. Then we moved back to Papua New Guinea in 1996 to Newton Theological College, which is in an area of Papua New Guinea called the Oro Province. We lived there for three years until 1999. Then we moved to Ley, which is the second biggest city in Papua New Guinea. We were there for four years. Um, and then at the start of 2002, we moved up to Garoka in the Eastern Highlands province. And we lived there, um, well, my parents lived there until 2012. And I lived there until the end of 2007 when I moved to Australia for university. So my dad was a priest uh, in the Anglican Church. He became a bishop in 2001. And basically what the Anglican Church does there is every three years they move clergy on to a new area to work. So that's why we move so often. And in the, the first place you lived in was that? Uh, Garoka. Garoka. Yeah. Yep. What kind of place was that? And what, what are your memories of that? So my memories of Garoka is, is just a beautiful, beautiful part of Papua New Guinea. Um, basically, the town of Garoka is built around the airport because they, they found the flattest part of the town. They put the airport there and then built this town all around it. Okay. Uh, I'm not sure currently what the population is. I think officially it was something around 30,000 when I was there in 2007. But that was just, the I think, a rough guesstimate um, because... Uh, like a lot of places in Papua New Guinea, there are a lot of, I guess, what you would call slums. Um, so a very large sort of unofficial, uncounted um, population as well. Okay. But yeah, uh, in the highlands, um, lots of beautiful produce. Um, there were coffee plantations all around us. Uh, vanilla um, plantations were also um, starting to thrive when I was there. But just a lot of fruit and veggies and produce um, are grown in the area and then sort of either sold in local markets or flown to other parts of the country to be sold. Okay. Do people there mostly live from agriculture? The majority of the population. So really um, in the towns, 
only people who sort of um, had further educations um, were able to get jobs um, in the cities. Usually if you um, hadn't completed high school or got a higher education, um, you usually worked on your family's land. And did you you go to school in Garoka also? No, so by the time we were living in Garoka, I was being homeschooled um, because my mum was Australian. They um, were able to enroll enroll me in, I think it was called Distance Education Centre, Victoria, so just like correspondence. Um, So I was doing that um, for all of my high school period. When I did go to school there, it was through international schools. What did you get up to in Garoka when you weren't being homeschooled? <laughs> um, so my cousins lived right next door to us. Well, a street over technically. But yeah, we were just at each other's house constantly. My dad's one of eight um, and his third born brother, my uncle McLaren, he lived um, a street over from us. Um, he was the manager of the lands department in Garoka. So yes, me and my cousins, we all just spent a lot of time just roaming the streets. We also just had a, a lot of friends um, in the area. So yes, I was in a total homeschool owner <laughs> freak <laughs> i did <Yeah>. have friends <laughs> well i was also going to say that um from what i know about uh, the little i know about papua new guinea and other pacific islands that the concept the idea of family is much bigger yes. than what we have here yep so uh in my dad's culture basically his brothers and sisters their kids are my cousins any cousins that my any kids sorry that my cousins have they're my nephews and nieces any children that my nephew and nieces have are my grandchildren and okay. because i'm so, from such a big family i've been a grandmother since basically <laughs> since i was like five years old okay so yes there are people nearly the same age as me going around calling me granny basically. okay <laughs> that could be a bit unnerving <laughs> and do you what but what responsibilities do you have as a as a, as a, as a granny or as a auntie just i guess to be a good example you know try try and be a good example i guess if they need like a bit of financial assistance you know lunch money that sort of thing help out because my mum's family is white Australian. I always used to get confused when I'd come to Australia and meet up with um, family in Australia because my mum had me a lot later than her brothers and sisters had kids. Okay. So I've got, I think in Australia, would they be second cousins, like your cousin's kids? Cousins once removed. Yeah. So I, I get confused, but yeah. yes, I've got, they're the same age as me here. So in PNG, I would expect them to call me auntie. Okay. But they're like, we're not calling you that. <laughs> like, you're not our auntie here. So yeah, I would get very confused when I was little. So you're, fa- you're, you're quite close to family yes. growing up in PNG. Yes, yeah. And my dad had lots of cousins as well. So... Even I be I can just remember I always used to hate going shopping with my dad or going out anywhere in town with my dad wherever we were in PNG because he would always meet someone he knew, mm-hmm. and the second person we'd meet would be a family member. So I can always remember just standing outside in the sun while my dad and his cousin or his uncle or whoever reminiscing and I'd be so bored and be begging like can we leave please and it would be like no talk to your uncle or you know talk to your cousins or something like that we've got something called the one talk system and one talks are like they're family but they're also 
I guess in Australia they'd be considered maybe distant relatives or something like there's some connection but it would take like a detailed discussion to actually tie down like it could be you know this one talk is a one talk because x is married to so and so and this is so and so's best friend that's how we're one talk so it mm-hmm. might not even be a blood relative but they're related to someone who is considered family so therefore you are family. In PNG, sometimes the one talk system can get abused. <laughs> but you know, you could just have like people show up and be like, hey, one talk, can I spend the night? Okay. And because of the one talk system, you're obliged to, you know, welcome them in and they can spend the night. And hospitality is very big in Papua New Guinea. So yeah, okay. yeah I guess the one talk system sort of works um, into that. So um, for example, if I go back to PNG and I need to find somewhere to stay in Port Moresby, I can ask my dad and he'll be like, oh, I think so-and-so has a cousin here. Let me call them and see if they'll be able to pick you up from the airport. Like that type of thing mm. comes in handy. Definitely family is, yeah, it's such a huge thing um, in PNG. And I guess knowing who you are in your family and where you stand, because in a lot of times who you are in your family will sort of, I can't think of the right word now, but basically, I don't want to say how people treat you depends on who you are, because that's not exactly what it is. But I guess your social standing in the community. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it's it's sort of really important to know who you are, who your parents are, who your grandparents are, where they come from, where their land is, what they did in the village, like what their social standing was. Because, yeah, it all plays a role in how other people will interact with you because of how their relationships are in relation to with your parents or with your grandparents or with your brothers and sisters even. I think things have definitely changed since. I think that was very important, say, for my dad's generation. Mm-hmm. Um, I think now, because there's been so much moving from villages into cities, I guess a little bit of that connection has been lost now because, I mean, so for me personally, I haven't been back to my dad's village since I think 2000, not even 2000, since 1998. Oh, wow. Um, So, and I, unfortunately, like, I don't speak my dad's language. Like, my dad speaks seven Papua New Guinean languages. Like, there are over 800 languages in the country. So, speaking seven doesn't sound that impressive, but, like, in relation to, like, I guess your average Australian, speaking seven is pretty impressive. Technically eight, because he speaks English as well. Um, But, yeah, I don't speak uh, Ewage, which is um, our traditional language which is really sad but basically my dad was too busy to teach me because he was you know going to uni and then working when I was little and then it was really important that I spoke English basically so I speak Tokpisin which is the other um, national language uh, in Papua New Guinea which uh, is basically a mixture of English traditional PNG languages and I believe German like it's funny I, f- I think German shows up more especially like when uh, in the, the spelling of things like house in talk pigeon is house but it's spelled h-a-u-s which okay. is like the German way of spelling and like uh, blood is blut um, like b-l-u-t so yeah the German uh, influence yeah it still seeps in um, in different ways but yeah, things like that, like with language, like I, I really am sad that I don't speak our language and if there's one thing that I would like to do, it's learn how to, to speak our language. My next question was going to be about how, to what extent you still interacted or connected with um, 
Papua New Guinean culture. Yeah. Well, one thing that Facebook is great for is keeping me in touch with all my cousins back there um, because, yeah, they're all over um, Facebook. So that's that's really good. Um, I think there are more and more sort of younger Papua New Guineans on Instagram and TikTok, so I follow a lot of their accounts and that, that's really good just seeing how things are back in Papua New Guinea recently with the riots that just happened, I think, two or three weeks ago. Mm. Um, there was a lot of that on PNG social media. So I was able to um, get in touch with family, make sure that they were all okay. Uh, I think they weren't, most of my family weren't in Moresby. They sort of live in other parts of the country. Um, so they weren't as affected, but just because of sort of tensions, uh, a lot of the shops where they were were all closed down. So they just had to rely on food that they already had at home and trying to get things from the market um, to last them until all the main shops opened back up. So like that's one thing social media is good for. Like we can mm. instantly, you know, send a message and be like, is everything okay? You know, what's happening there? And are you guys safe? <laughs> How was it uh, then when you actually had to go to school? Like, What kind of school was it? Um, so for primary school, I was going to an international school. I guess they would be considered private schools, but like that was really good going to international schools. They were, I always say that I went to like the poorer international schools because I think that they were like two tiered because there'd be some that would have nearly 50% of the students there would be from expatriate families so lots of um, white kids Asian kids would be going to there the ones that I went to were all majority Papua New Guinean kids yeah there was a bit of a, a hierarchy with the international schools I think the ones that had more expatriate kids were considered more elite so I guess I went to like the poor international yeah. schools yeah I was gonna I was gonna ask whether the kids at the international school were of a similar background to, to you most like parents who had gone to like Papua New Guinea and whose parents had gone to university so who, sort of educated parents yeah yeah who worked sort of in government or private industry or maybe had their own businesses how long did you go to international school for from prep to grade six yeah by grade seven, I was started to be homeschooled. Did you enjoy school? Like, how was it? Um, so I enjoyed the subjects I was really good at. Mm -hmm. um, so like English and history uh, and literature <laughs> excelled, but maths and science not so much. So yeah, I think because I'm I'm a, a quite a social person. So definitely towards the end, I was struggling with homeschooling. So I was really I was really happy when I got to come to Australia for uni. Just the idea of being around people um, for, with classes was very exciting. Because I suppose one of the biggest learning things from going to school next to homeschool is just having that social interaction yeah. and learning, learning those social skills. Although you yeah. probably, I guess you probably had them through all your... Yeah, I was, I was lucky that way, yeah. that There's still lots of social interactions with people. So what we would do is, because my mum worked at a, a nursing college, which is just basically a a uni for uh, nursing students um, and she just had a little setup um, in her office with a desk for me so even during the day like her students would be coming past and like saying hi to me and other lecturers so I still got yeah heaps of social interaction. And of the, of the, the different places that you lived at <laughs> in Papua New Guinea which one do you have perhaps the the strongest sort of best memories of? Uh, probably Leh and Garoka. Leh just because it was so big 
from what I was used to when we lived in Poppendetta. That's a, a really small town. <laughs> but it's the second biggest city. It is the se- it? second yeah. biggest city in PNG. So, yeah, it had a huge population. We lived right in the middle um, of the city. So, that was, it was just a, a much more, I guess, exciting place to live um, for a kid. Although, I do have some memories of, because we lived right in the centre of town. Uh, there would be like holdups or okay. some sort of fighting would happen and then the sort of city centre would go into lockdown and then um, I remember my dad, we had these big gates outside our place and he'd be like, we'd lock the gates and we'd all have to just stay inside and, and wow. wait until, you know, they heard on the radio or something that things had settled down. So, yeah, that, I mean, that's exciting for a kid. How did Lay differ from your experience in Goroka? So Lay, I mean, because it was so big and there were so many people, because it was one of the biggest cities, uh, you constantly have people moving in from the villages looking for opportunities, looking for work, um, and then unfortunately not finding anything. Um, so you've got a massive sort of population living, I guess, yeah, what you would call slums. And so there was always sort of the... Like I remember we were always told to sort of like be on the lookout for pickpocketers, like that was always a huge problem. I remember one time, I think I was 10 in lay, 10 or 11, my mum was coming back to the house, she was just waiting to cross the road and someone had come up behind and tried to pick her bilum. A bilum is a traditional Papua New Guinean bag and it sort of has like an open front and he, she could feel him reach his, uh, um, his hand in right. to grab her wallet. And so she like, I don't know what sort of a defensive maneuver you would call it, but she basically like trapped his hand in her bilum and started yelling. And my dad and a bunch of my uncles were at our place and they heard her and they ran over and this guy sees all these men running over and he tries to like push my mum aside and start running but she's got him locked Mm. in they come up they grab him and basically because they were like there's no use calling the police like they're not going to come over this Mm. all my uncles basically sat this guy down and gave him like this super stern talking to like you need to turn your life around (laughs) you can't be like trying to pick people's pocket like either get a job or you might need to go home to the village if you can't find work here because this is not how you should be living your life basically (laughs) so i remember i got sent upstairs to the house and I couldn't come down for any of that. They were like, no, go upstairs. Right. We need to talk to this guy. <laughs> yeah, so those problems are sort of dealt with in a more informal way. Yeah, basically. Um, yeah, there would be no use calling the police. They wouldn't come. They'd be like, why are you bothering us? <laughs> they basically, not read him the right act, but basically told them, like, my mum is like, this is what she does in the community. Like, this is what we do here. Like, why are you trying to steal money from her? type of thing so it's a bit like an intervention yeah like it, i think that's what they were trying to do yeah what about in, in garoka what <laughs> what are sort of your fondest memories i suppose of living there fondest memories definitely the food i miss the food from garoka so much um so so garoka has this huge fruit and veggie market that's sort of very well known they also have something called a billum market which are like the traditional bags that they make in Papua New Guinea. All the billums are hung along these fences um, along the street and you can just walk and browse and buy billums and other sort of uh, traditional goods there. Goroka was, it's got like a beautiful climate. I think it's 
maybe top of like 27 28 like if mm-hmm. it was really hot it would get to 30 but it's not super humid like it is um in late and yeah just beautiful weather um it's always super green like when it's the rainy season it does rain a lot but then when it's the dry season it never gets it never got super hot and humid although by the time we had moved up there they were getting more cases of malaria um from mosquitoes so my mum says that when she moved to Papua New Guinea um, she moved there in 1965 to work as a missionary nurse and she said when she was first there you would never hear of cases of malaria in the highlands mosquitoes just didn't make it up because it was just too cruel for them but by the time that we moved there in 2002 more and more cases of malaria yeah it was definitely getting warmer I haven't been back since 2012 so yeah i'm not sure now what the numbers are like there when you were growing up did you have any i suppose ambition or dream or or plan about what you were going to do in in the future Uh, not really i don't remember i i guess sort of like most kids it always changed what i wanted to to be i remember for a while you know after watching jurassic park like paleontologists was number one on the list and then <laughs> i saw indiana jones and then i became archaeologist so basically depending on what i had just watched like i'm sure all of my teenage years i just wanted to be beyonce because I was <laughs> i'm still obsessed with her but yeah i i didn't really have a a clear idea of what i wanted to do and were you always thinking that you would leave Papua New Guinea at some stage? I think pretty much from when I was little, I think that was always the plan. Um, mm. Like with my parents, a lot of, I guess, expatriates who live in PNG, generally by the time their kids start to get to the age where they need to go to high school, they tend to leave the country and go back to where they're from. Um, my parents didn't uh, want to do that when I became a teenager because my dad had just become a bishop. So it was really important for them to stay um, and work. But I think for university, that was always the plan um, for me to come to Australia. And so tell me about what brought you to Australia. What were the circumstances? Um, So I finished year 12 um, and then applied for a bunch of unis here in Australia. I got into the University of Ballarat, which I now believe is called Federation Uni. So yeah, I got into uni in Ballarat and uh, moved there, I think the start of 2008 to go to uni and I loved it there. Mm-hmm. I love Ballarat. Yeah. <laughs> How much of a uh, adjustment was it for you at the time? I would say the weather was the biggest um, adjustment for me. I have never lived anywhere so cold. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that was definitely the biggest adjustment. I think I owned, I think I owned one jumper. And that's all I had packed when I'd moved there. And then we were told like, oh, Ballarat's cold. You need to get some more um, warm clothes. So I think we got some things, but I, st- I was still just not prepared. Like I wore thongs. All right. uh, I don't think I owned a pair of shoes the whole time I lived in, in PNG. So I had to buy actual shoes when yeah, I moved right. here to Australia and start wearing socks and learning about layers. I think I got a cold every winter in Ballarat just because of like the when you go to uni all the rooms would be super heated and then you'd step outside mm. and it's like arctic blasts of wind so yeah I was sick a lot just um, when I first moved there 
But yeah, I, it was great. I met my best friend like the first day of orientation. Mm-hmm. We, I stood behind her in a line to get henna done on her hand and we've been best friends ever since. Still friends with heaps of people there. Yeah, I just absolutely loved going to uni there. I did a Bachelor of Arts majoring in sociology because mm-hmm. I didn't really know what I wanted to do and everyone was just like, just do a Bachelor of Arts. You'll figure yeah. it out from there. So I did. <laughs> yep, that's what I did as well. <laughs> And there's nothing wrong with that. No, uh, I loved it. I learned so much. What do you think was the biggest thing you learned from that experience? Um, definitely for me personally, I would say my biggest takeaway was I did not realise until I had moved out of Papua New Guinea and I started learning more about history, about the it was the impact of colonisation on Papua mm-hmm. New Guinea. That was probably the biggest thing that I'd learned, um, just the impact of colonisation worldwide. But I guess growing up in Papua New Guinea sort of you just living your regular life I was a kid I didn't realize just how much of everyday life there had been impacted by colonization and just even my parents life or my I suppose my dad's life Um, and even my mum she went over as a missionary nurse for the Anglican church like that that's quite colonial (laughs) like um yeah I guess my my grandparents' lives, like so, the village that my grandparents are from, it's called Gona. It's in the Oro province, and that was the village where, when the Japanese invaded mainland PNG, that was where they landed. So I didn't, I don't even know if I knew that before I had moved to Australia. Like I knew that the Japanese were there in the village when I was there, but no one talks about it in the context okay. of you know world history type of thing because Papua New Guinea I think by the time World War II came around Papua New Guinea was a British colony and then after um, World War II it was handed over to Australia. What do you learn about the country in Papua New Guinea at school there? So I think one of the things one of the disadvantages of how I did school because I didn't study um, any high school history in PNG I had switched to an Australian curriculum by then and it was a Victorian curriculum. I remember doing um, I remember learning about Sparta and ancient Rome I don't remember anything about uh, even in sort of learning about World War II I don't remember learning much about Papua New Guinea just with the Australian curriculum that I did, which I mean, can I mean, I'm sure they would have covered the Kokoda Trap yeah, because yeah, that's, that's, that's really quite famous. yeah. But I don't remember much more. Like I don't remember reading anything about where the Japanese landed because um, obviously I would have recognised if they had mentioned my village. <laughs> I will say I do have people um, here at work come up to me and ask me like where I'm from, mm. which so it depends on my mood because <laughs> I'm like I am Australian, so sometimes I just say Bernie. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, or and then when they're like, oh, where are you from? Really? I'm like, oh, I moved here from Ballarat. Um, <laughs> but if I'm feeling generous, I will expand and be like, my dad's Papua New Guinean. Yeah. And then usually there's some sort of connection, like you know they had an uncle who was there in the war or. You know, they know people who were there in the 60s and 70s. But, you know, a lot of the times I get like, oh, you know, heard about them in the news, like, oh, it's very corrupt or heard about the riots or a lot of the time someone will be like, oh, yeah, we were there until you got independence. And then things started going downhill, so we left. <laughs> I'm just like, oh, I mean, independence was pretty <laughs> great, especially if you were Papua New Guinean, but yeah. okay. <laughs> and... um that's probably the case for a few a few people from other 
place that I've talked to where the only coverage that people in Australia mm. hear is bad news. Yes, yeah. That's a nice segue onto another question about mm. just how much people in Australia, in your experience, know about Papua New Guinea and what, what are some of the um, misconceptions? I get, oh, you speak English really well. Oh, That's really? not as much as I used to, but yeah, it used to be common which is annoying. <laughs> I'm just like, it's the most spoken language in the world. Like, surely yeah. it's not that surprising um, that I yeah. can speak it. <laughs> uh, every now and again, not so much me, I think maybe because I've got more of an Australian accent, but my dad, and I get really annoyed when he tells me later that he's heard this, but a lot of people when, you know, because um, he's a member of Rotary, so they do sort of a lot oh, yeah. of things in the community. Um, and he's very chatty. He's a popular guy. He loves having a chat with people. Um, every now and again, someone will mention cannibalism to him. Like, that's their association oh, with Papua New Guinea. <laughs> it's about, like, headhunters and cannibals. And my dad's just like, what? <laughs> Why? I don't know anything about that. So, yeah, Get, he gets that uh, more than me. But yeah, I get, I think most people will talk about Kokoda with me. Like, oh, I really want to walk it. Or, oh, my dad mm -hmm. did it. Um, and that sort of thing. I've had people ask me if I've done it. And I'm like, why would <laughs> I want to do it? <laughs> no, thank you. But yes, I, my dad has walked it. Um, he went with a, I think it was a group of all Papua New Guineans. And it was something, I can't remember exactly what the occasion was. But um, he walked it. But I think he also feels um, a, a personal collection, a connection to it because so I call them boo-boos, which means grandparents. But I believe technically they would be great uncles. Um, they were, I guess you would say, conscripted by the Australian Army to carry packs. So I guess they'd be considered fuzzy wuzzy angels. I'm not 100% sure. I kind of feel a bit icky um, yeah. um, describing them as that because, yeah, I believe they were told to go and they helped carry um, packs and injured soldiers there. So I think he definitely felt a personal connection um, to that, walking the Kokoda track, because of the connection with um, our village there, being where the, the Japanese landed on the mainland. All the, the younger generation who was there, uh, his great uncles and aunties they had all run and hid in the bush okay. um when they landed um and then i'm not exactly sure whether the australian army came or whether they had fled inland enough to to where they didn't the, the japanese uh, hadn't got there yet but yeah other younger men they were all conscripted by the i believe australian army to go work there on the kokoda track <laughs> this is pretty wild like when you think about it like yeah yeah, just being told you have to help out in this war that you really don't know anything about. So Yeah. 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 But, um, actually, so my grandfather, my Bubulman and Bubumeri, they were in another part of the country called <coughs> Millen Bay. And my grandfather, he got selected to go bury um, Japanese um, soldiers. There had been um, a battle there and he was selected to go. He was quite young, so they selected him to go and bury bodies there. So... Wow. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, kind of traumatic when you think about it. Yeah. So 
when I graduated, because I have the Bachelor of Arts and no work experience, I couldn't get a job in Ballarat. So I ended up moving here to Tasmania because my mum's younger sister, my Aunt Joan, her and her husband, they'd been living here um, on the northwest since, I believe they moved here in 1965. Um, so because we had that family connection, my mum, when she retired um, from teaching up in PNG, she'd moved here to Tassie in 2012. Oh, sorry, 2013. So she'd retired and she was living here, uh, actually uh, at Sisters Beach. Um, oh, yeah, so this is like the best place to, yeah. live, um, to retire to. So because I, I thought uh, having no luck here, I might as well go be with mum because I hadn't, you know, lived with my parents since I was a teenager. And I thought it would just be the easiest thing to do and cheapest thing to do. So I moved back home here to, well, yeah, I moved here to Tassie. And my dad retired and moved here a year later once all his visa stuff had been processed. Okay. Yeah, it took a year um, after we applied for him to come for it to be finalised. What, what were your first impressions of Tasmania or this part of Tasmania? So I'd been coming here since I was a kid. Every three years okay. um, we'd come to Tassie um, on holiday to, or to Australia to catch up with family. So I had super fond memories of Tasmania. I think we came, I think I'd come here in like 1999, 2014 and then again in 2017 um, when we moved over when I moved over to Ballarat and I would during uni breaks I would come over here as well so okay. I love the beach I would spend a lot of time because I love movies I'd always go to there was this video shop in Somerset and every holiday we were here I would go there max out my uncle's card borrowing um, movies and then go back to their place and watch them because in PNG we didn't have any cinemas mm -hmm. and we didn't have we didn't have a, a, to buy a proper DVD was very expensive. We have the pirated versions of CDs called VCDs that we oh, would yeah. buy, but they were split onto two discs. And yeah. in the start, you'd see shadows of people sitting down at the at the cinema, so they were like really dodgy. Oh, right. So I, when I came to Australia, I was like, "This is my opportunity to watch real movies." So yeah, very fun memories of yeah, doing that and going to the library and borrowing stuff out at the library because once again, there weren't any. I don't remember if Lay had a public library. Garoka did, but it was very, very small. So, yeah, it was really hard to get my hands on any books. So when I would come here, I'd try to borrow out as many as I could to read. So, yeah, which probably led to, like, my lifelong love of books. And now I work at the library. <laughs> I decided maybe I needed to go back to uni. Mm -hmm. um, so I also started volunteering at my church. They had a children's program called Mainly Music, which was basically like 45 minutes of just standing in front of toddlers, singing, dancing. Okay. Um, so I was doing that and then I went back to uni to do my master's of information studies mm -hmm. with Charles Sturt University. Um, and it was all online. So okay, yeah. I was doing that and I was also um, volunteering with City Mission in Burnie and then in Wynyard. Um, so, yeah, just did a lot of volunteer work while I was at uni. But basically I finished up doing my master's um, in 2020 and sort of like in between I had just uh, – I got a couple of extra gigs on a TV commercial okay. and on the TV show Rosehaven. So, yeah, I just sort of did like – 
volunteer and odd jobs until I finished doing my master's. And then I started applying for library jobs. But uh, COVID basically had hit by the time, I think, what was that, Early, March 2020? Yeah, March 2020. It, yeah, and then all yeah. the jobs just disappeared. I just basically was like, I don't know whether to wait this out or s- apply for admin jobs, just something in between. So, yeah, it was just became a waiting game. I think Bernie Library, uh, I think that had sort of like a volunteer open day sort of thing that I must have gone to because in 2020 I got a call asking if I was still interested in volunteering. Uh, I said yes. So I think in May or June 2020 I started volunteering at the Bernie Library and then I think it was maybe three months After that, in August, they asked me if I wanted to start doing some relief there. And then I did. And I also did some relief at Hellyer College in Burnie. And then, yeah, I basically just started regularly getting relief work at the Burnie Library. And then in April 2021, I got a contract at the Devonport Library. uh, And I've been working here at the Devonport Library ever since. And what, what do you, what's your role here? Like, what, do you, what, what are your main tasks? I'm a library services officer here at the Devonport Library full time. So um, basically I'm out the, I'm serving clients up the front, checking out books, borrowing books. We do lots of digital help. So because we share a building here in Devonport, we have service TAS and the council get a lot of people coming in needing help with things like, say, working for vulnerable um, people application. So, yeah, lots of digital help, uh, filling out forms with clients. Uh, we also help with family history inquiries, mm-hmm. um, as well as running um, programs like school holiday programs. And, yeah, just regularly doing things to promote literacy. Um, we have a 2610 program, which assists adult literacy. So that's something the library works really hard to promote. And, yeah, we always have lots of things going on at the library all the time. You know, it's not just people um, wanting to borrow and check out books. We offer lots of different services. What would you say is the thing that you have enjoyed most about this work? Oh, I love everything about the library. (laughs) I love being here. Um, It's always such a joy to come to work every day. Um, I have great colleagues too, so that always makes it even more fun to, to come to work. But I love it when, you know, someone comes up to the front and... It's like, oh, I love this book or I love this movie. Do you have anything else, you know, by this author or what else would you recommend? As soon as someone asks me what would I recommend, I'm in my, I'm in the zone. I, yeah, I love recommending um, books and movies, music to people. So that's probably my favourite thing if I can, when I get to just have a chat with the client and find out what they like and, yeah, see if there's anything that maybe I could, you know, introduce them to. But also doing kids' holiday programs. Like, it's always fun. And in terms of coming to Northwest Tasmania to, to settle in, what would you say were some of the more challenging things that you had to adjust to? I think definitely coming from Ballarat and Victoria in general, just a lot more multicultural and just sort of a lot more things are open. It's just, I mean, that could be anywhere in Australia when you move to somewhere rural, just sort of the difference, that difference. I definitely found it was, I thought it was a little bit harder to make friends than I I thought it would be. I find, I'm not sure if it's just a Tasmanian thing, but because so many people here grow up knowing each other and, you know, their yep. parents know each other, they already have this, like, inbuilt family friend situation yeah, happening. Yeah. They're not necessarily looking to expand their social group. But I think, 
I, I definitely found my people. Like that wasn't, yeah, but that was definitely something I thought when I, I, I noticed when I first um, moved here, um, especially sort of because I moved here when I was like 23, I can believe. So yeah, other 23 year olds were like, no, we're fine. We don't need <laughs> new friends. There was something to that for sure. Yeah. But how did you how did you find your people? And I was actually talking with someone the other day. Like we can't exactly remember how we clicked. Like we we remember when we met, but there's, there's this moment I think like when you meet someone and you just click personality wise, and we can't exactly remember when. But yeah, I think it was a, a mixture through um, volunteering uh, mainly. I, I met a lot of people through volunteering. A couple of people through the call centre. There's, um, like, one friend that I'm still... Like, we go see a movie every time there's something out in the cinema. Like, we go see it together. So, yeah, it was just, I guess, organic. Just putting myself out there, like, when there mm -hmm. was, like, a social situation. And I was like, oh, maybe we could, you know... Maybe there's potential to be friends here. I'll just, yeah, see if, um, if they want to hang out. And, yeah, just, I guess, organically sort of building those connections. But definitely, I think, being working at the library, I'm around other people who <laughs> sort of like the same things that I like. Like, we all like books. So, yeah, yeah that's a good common ground. So, yeah, I know some people like to keep work and their personal life very separate, but I found a lot of people who like the same things as I do at work. Oh, 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 oh.